I want you to turn your Bibles to Revelation 4 and 5. And I also, I just want to add on to what, uh, man, to what Matt said. I'm, I'm very happy, thrilled to have Trey and Ashley on staff. And Ashley has years of, of kids' experience. In fact, she grew up in the home of a kid's pastor. Uh, her dad's now a pastor. And uh, I just can't wait to see what God's going to do. I told, uh, I told Trey years ago when he was like, I want, man, I wonder if God would ever call me to ministry. I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, you, you think you'd ever have me at Grace? I'm like... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I said, if I do, I said, man, you're going to start off the way we all start off. I said, you got to start off by cleaning toilets. And just this morning, it hit me. There are two bathrooms back in the kids' wing, and he's going to be cleaning them. I can't wait, man. That is amazing. <laughs> but no, I'm excited to see what God does. In fact, it never would have crossed my mind. But Matt came. We had interviewed nine different candidates for position. In fact, uh, for those of you that know Rachel Ross, who is actually our interim director, just killing it. Uh, we we were, you know, we thought that maybe that'd be an option, but man, she's just in a season being an awesome mom that she is. She said, I'll get you through to the next person. And so Matt came to me one day and said, man, I really want to talk to Trey. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. He's like, no, I want to. And, and so he said, can I do that? I'm like, well, that's on you. And so then I immediately called Trey and said, listen, you're going to get a phone call and I'm calling you not as a pastor, but as a dad. I'm gonna tell you everything to ask Matt about this. I'm gonna give you all the bad things. No, I'm teasing. But uh, just to see what God's doing is a special, special thing. And so welcome, Trey and Ashley. Now, um, one, one thing I wanna do before we jump in is uh, just give you an update on the land situation. We've been talking about this, praying about this. Many of you have given or pledged toward this. Last week, we ran into a complication. Uh, we knew that there were going to be some annexation challenges, but there was a specific uh, thing that we were made aware of last week that has actually caused us just to step back. It has nothing to do with the property itself, but we've hit pause um, because we want to make sure we get everything cleared up. And honestly, if there's an issue with that, we don't want to uh, make it difficult on ourselves to sell the other 40 acres that were part of that. We didn't think it was wise to continue until we... We're able to circle back. So just so you know, we have hit pause on that. Um, we're probably going to be talking more about that this fall. But I wanted to update you. And, and, and somebody came up to me and said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear this. And, and here's my thing. There is like this disappointment. But on the other hand, honestly, I want God's will and his vision for this church. And I'm not, it might be that. It might, it might be something else. It's not a matter of if, it's when when it's supposed to be. But I will say this, for each of you that have given or pledged, I reached out to you yesterday by phone or by text. If you did not get my message, I promise you, it was not a scammer trying to sell, check on auto insurance. Like, it was legit, so check your voicemail. But I just wanted to say thank you for giving, but I also want to just say thank you for those of you that are continuing to pray. And so this fall, we'll be, you'll be hearing more. Uh, we have a lot of options on the table, and we will be talking about that as we move forward. But today, we're going to be looking at uh, Revelation 4 and 5, and I'm just going to see how far we get today, okay? I, I don't know. I don't know how far uh, we'll get into this, but, but what's happening is we're going to see uh, Jesus just pulling back a curtain and letting John see into heaven. And what we're going to see here in heaven, when I, this week as I was studying, I'm, I'm thinking, what is, the, what is something that would be the closest I can think of, something that I've experienced to this? And, and honestly, what came to my mind first was not a church service. It wasn't. It was actually when as a teenager for the first time, I, I, made, I made my way with a buddy of mine to, uh, to Assembly Hall, which is where my beloved Indiana University Hoosiers play basketball. 
We had to park about a quarter of a mile away and had to pay obscene, an obscene price for parking. Then we had to walk to get there. And, and it was crazy because I looked around, man, people are coming from all over the place and we're just streaming into this, this place. And, and so we made our way. We were in the nosebleed section, but nobody was complaining. They had really hard bleachers and, and that, that didn't bother us at all. I was squeezed in tightly between two people like this, never complained one bit. It was one of the loudest places I've ever been in my life. In fact, as, as, as uh, the, the, the team was warming up, the band started to play, and it's crazy, everybody knew the song that they were playing. In fact, everybody began to sing the words together to the IU fight song. And I looked around, and man, it was probably one of the most multicultural places I've ever been to. Like, every, every race uh, was there. It seemed, like, it seemed like people had come from all over, but we were united. We, we were wearing, all of us, wearing the same colors. We were identifying with our beloved IU Hoosiers. We, everybody's wearing crimson and green. Some, some people had painted their faces. Some people painted their bellies, so that was kind of gross. But anyway, when, when, the team, when the team ran out on the floor, literally, man, it was, it, nobody had to say, hey, would everybody please stand to acknowledge the team? Like literally everybody rose to their feet. It was so loud, you could hardly hear, like my buddy is yelling in my ear and I can hardly hear him. And so, so you know, by, by the end of the night, I walked into that place knowing one guy, by the end of the night, I knew everybody around me because every time that there was a great play, there was a basket of three or whatever, we're all high-fiving. We don't care because we're all there together. We're all on the same page. We are, we've all showed up to cheer on the same team. Honestly, that's probably the closest analogy that I get to what I see here. And you're like, well, that's terrible. I agree. There's a song that we sing here, and I love the song, but there's a line in there that says, this is what heaven looks like, this is what heaven sounds like. I'm like, no, no, not at all, not at all, because, man, what is taking place up there is unbelievable. Now, some of you here, like I use that analogy, you're not a sports fan, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but it might be for you a political rally. It might be uh, something that you're just fired up about that, you know, a car show, whatever. But, but when you show up, you are 100% all in. When everybody shows up to this event or to, or, or to recognize this candidate, we're all on the same team. Like, like all, the, all the things that would normally divide us don't matter. Guys, this is just a small picture of what we're going to see. And so for the next, for the next uh, two hours that we have to, not teasing, for the next few minutes that we have together, I want us to take a look at what heaven is going to be like. And I'm going to try to navigate this tension uh, of, of, you know, addressing some of the things in there that are kind of weird uh, and, and then, but not missing the main point that, that we have here. In fact, the main point I think comes back to something that, that we see in, in chapters two and three, where Jesus is writing to the churches and we've been through these two chapters and what he's, what he's showing them is that what matters more than anything, what matters uh, more than, than, than your entertainment, more than your comfort, more than your wealth, what matters most is me. And he challenges the church to move past this casual commitment, this lukewarm approach to being all in. And so, so I think if he's making this claim, it is fair 
And God is not going to, you know, like judge us if we ask this question. I think it's a fair question to ask, is Jesus worthy? Is he worthy of all the effort and pain and, and sacrifice that it's going to take to, to overcome the, the pull of the world around me? To, is, is he worthy of me seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? As heaven is opened up to us, here's what we're going to see. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down the big point. Heaven reveals that Jesus is worthy of our most passionate worship. Heaven reveals that Jesus is worthy of our most passionate worship. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, we see John, he's looking, he's having these visions. He, he looks and behold, a door is standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard, because this is his third vision, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. So, so there are three visions. The first vision is in Revelation 1. And, and he says, this is the vision of, of things you have seen. In, in Revelation 2 and 3, he gave him the vision of things that are. And now, for, from now, as, as we're going through the, through the end of Revelation, he's saying, now, this is a vision of the things that will take place. And it's pretty powerful what he sees. Now, I would say, as I get into this, there's going to be some things that I don't have time to just dig into and spend a lot of time in the weeds on this. But, but, but write down in your notes, Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 14. Write down Daniel 7, 9 through 14, and then write down Ezekiel 1, because he's going to be alluding and referring to things that are actually spelled out here, because what John is seeing is, is the same thing that, that Daniel was seeing in Daniel 7 when he wrote about the Ancient of Days and, and the Son of Man. He's seeing the same things that, that Ezekiel saw in, in, in chapter 1 when he talked about these living creatures. And so he's going to reference that. So to get further context, dig in to those, to those chapters. But, but, but let's keep reading. Because what we're going to see that's at the heart of everything is a throne. Verse 2, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven. Now, I want you to write down, there's going to be things that Jesus sees, uh, that John sees in heaven. First of all, he sees an occupied throne that's at the center of everything. He sees an occupied throne that is at the center of everything. And this divine throne is mentioned 17 times in these two chapters and what we see is everything is, is happening around the throne. In fact, you're going to see this phrase, around the throne, show up several times. So he's in the spirit. A throne stands in heaven, one seated on the throne. Verse 3. He who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of, of an emerald. You're like, man, it's starting to sound like Mario Kart. No, hold on. With, like What I'm talking about here. The rainbow is, is always used as a reminder of God's mercy on his people, his faithfulness to his covenant. Do not let anybody hijack the rainbow. It started with God. It belongs to God. We don't need to be scared of the rainbow. It belongs to God. It's going to be in heaven, for crying out loud. Okay, so around the throne, we have, this, we have this rainbow, and then we see that around the throne are 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones are 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Real quick, I'm going to acknowledge this. I'm going to give you my opinion. I told you that I'm going to give you my opinion. Who are the 24 elders? Write down Revelation 21, 12 through 14. 
So I want you, you, you guys can see where I'm getting my opinion. We don't know for sure who, the, who this is, but in Revelation 21, 12 through 14, there are 24 men who are acknowledged there, the 12 patriarchs, which the, the, that's from the Old Testament, the 12 tribes of Israel, you know, they were named after men. And then we have the 12 apostles. We see their names are going to be there in the new Jerusalem. I believe that these 24 elders represent the old covenant represented by those, those 12, the, the 12 patriarchs and the new covenant of the New Testament that is, that is represented by the 12 apostles. The, the, the thing is like, is he right? Is he wrong? Well, we're not going to know until we get there. But here, that's not the most important thing. What matters is, is what we're going to see what they're doing is what matters. First of all, don't miss this. They are dressed for Jesus by Jesus. Now, that is awesome. They're, they're wearing, they're wearing these, these robes. They are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. By the way, can I tell you that, that that is true of anyone who has been saved. You have been transformed. You have traded in your filthy rags of your own works and your own righteousness for the white robes of Jesus Christ and his righteousness and his clothes are better than your clothes. And so, so not only that, they're given these golden crowns, but they're not like golden crowns that we would, the, the word, the Greek word that, that from which we get crowns is not referring to the word from which we get like a king's crown, like the queen's crown. It's, it's more like this. Guys, show the picture. We've got a, we've got a picture here that I want to show you. It, it's more of a crown that they would give to athletes that won a race. For instance, the early Olympics would receive a crown something like this. And, and it's actually referring to something that Jesus noted that, that he promised the church in Smyrna, the suffering church in Smyrna in Revelation 2, verse 14, where he said, for those of you who are faithful unto death, you have a crown awaiting you. It's a crown rewarding faithfulness. Now, we're going to get back to the purpose of the crown here in just a minute, but just, just hang on with me. We keep reading verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. It's interesting in the Psalms and in the prophets in the Old Testament, this, this lightning, thunder, all this is associated with God's perfect justice. Before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And you're like, what? Go back, listen to my first message. We address this. Uh, you can write down in the side Zechariah 4. He's referring to... Uh, to a vision given to the, the, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. Verse 6, And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And you're like, whoa. Just, again, go back to Ezekiel 1. That'll give you some context. What, what he's, in fact, in Ezekiel 10, he actually says that these living creatures are cherubim. You're like, what are cherubim? Well, they're mentioned several places in Scripture. We know, for example, when uh, after the first sin, as punishment for sin, Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden. There were cherubim who, who guarded the tree of life. Um, elsewhere, uh, we, we see, we, we see uh, the cherubim represented on the Ark of the Covenant. There were gold figures uh, that, that, that were there. Um, really, if, if I could sum it up, they, they really serve as God's agents, who, who carefully and vigilantly 
watch over the world. And so, so just, just think of them when you see four living creatures, don't get hung up like, oh, I can't, it's cherubim. That's what it's, it's, what it's referring to. Now, I, I know that the, when we read this, like, it's hard for us to grasp this because John is, he's describing to us like something we don't have the context to grasp. We, we just, we haven't seen this. And, and so in, in scripture, there are, there are three heavens that are mentioned. First heaven, second heaven, third heaven. First heaven is, is what you're going to see when you walk out and you look up and you see the sun in the, in, in, in the sky. That's the first heaven is, you know, you know from, from here to 20 miles up. This is where the birds are flying and, and you see the clouds and all of that. Then there's the second heaven, which refers to what we would know as, you know, all the galaxies, Milky Way, the, the cosmos, the planets, sun, stars, moon, all of that. That's, that's the second heaven. But then... In various places in scripture, there's reference made to a third heaven. In fact, the apostle Paul references being caught up to the third heaven in 2 Corinthians 12 too. And, 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 and the easiest way to describe the third heaven, I just, I'd summarize it this way. It's the place where God is present. Now, this is where it gets weird. It's like, well, he's omnipresent. He's all places, all times. Yes, but this is, this is the place where he dwells. This is the, the, the third heaven. So, so John is trying to explain this, and he doesn't have the right words, and that's why he uses the phrase, these things. He'll, he'll say, he say uh, this has the appearance of. He's using an analogy just so we can somehow grasp this. But I, in all of these details, I don't want you to miss this big point here. The throne is at the center of it all. And what matters is that the throne is occupied. And what matters is who is occupying the throne. What we see here, this throne is emphasizing that God is in complete control over the affairs of human history. There is absolutely nothing that is outside his ultimate reign. It's at the heart of it all. And guys, I don't say this disrespectfully of any of us who are looking forward to seeing friends and family, parents, maybe kids that, that have died and gone to heaven. Thank God for that promise. But what is going to matter most is who is seated on the throne. The throne dominates everything. Not because it has to, but it's like went to IU. We showed up for the team. When we show up, it's, it's gonna be something that we cannot miss. The throne's at the center of everything. Now, we gotta keep reading because there's more to this. We keep reading in verse eight, the four living creatures, six wings full of eyes. You're like, oh, that's weird. I know. Like, like, don't believe all the pictures we see of angels because they, I don't know, it's just, I don't know. Here's the thing I do know, that they're saying something over and over and over. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it says that when, when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, we're coming back to the crowns now, they're falling down before him who's seated on the throne. They worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. See, the second thing John sees is that there going on in heaven is a perpetual party celebrating the worth of Jesus. Going on in heaven is a, it's a perpetual party. 
Like there are times when you're experiencing something and you never want it to end because it is the best. This is what's going on in heaven. Now there are some phrases and words that I use a lot that I'm known for, unfortunately. For instance, my wife, Lori, says that when she says something to me and I'm not paying attention, I just will say, what's that? And they make fun of me for that. And if you guys could pray for my family, I'd appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> but another thing that, that a lot of you have made fun of me for, I see you, is something I've been trying to purge from my vocabulary since I became a pastor. But I've been saying it since I'm like six or seven, and I can't stop. And that's, dude. Like, I can't help. Like, when I get fired up, I'm like, dude. And I'm like, that doesn't sound very pastoral. So I try, and I just can't help myself and all of that. But, you know, like, there are some things you're going to hear me say. But, but you know, the crazy thing, there are going to be some phrases. They're going to echo throughout all eternity. In fact, if heaven is known for some phrases, it would be these two primary phrases. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the second phrase that heaven's going to be known for is, worthy is the lamb. It's what heaven's going to be known for. Now, how many of you have lived in Nampa for 12 years or more? Let me see your hands. 12 years or more. Okay, I see you. So I've, I just hit me this week. I think I've lived now in Idaho longer than I've lived anywhere else. And so I'm an official Idahoan, y'all. I have made it. But when I first moved here, I'd be driving down Midland. For those of you that, are, that have been here for a while, you know what I'm talking about. I'd be driving down Midland, and there was a house off of Midland, and they had this big old picture window, and in this big old picture window were trophies. Anybody remember that? They were just like trophies. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. There, there were trophies just everywhere. And every time we drive by that house, I'd tell Lori, I'm like, man, I got to know the story behind those trophies. There's a reason why all those trophies are in that window. And every time we drive by, it's like, man, I, I want to know that story. And finally, Lori was like, well, pull in there and find out. And I'm like, I'm going to. But if I would have, it'd been a great story, but I never did. <laughs> but what I do know is that that person, they had accomplished something and they wanted to make sure that everybody driving down Midland Boulevard knew that they had accomplished something. They had worked hard for that. I found out they were, uh, they were a race car driver and a great race car driver, Meridian Speedway and all that sort of thing. Anyway, because we, we have fact checkers that make sure after a service that I know my details. And so I now know what, what it was all about. Well, here's the deal. Those, those, those trophies are important because they, they symbolize accomplishment. So I want to go back to the elders throwing their crowns. Those golden crowns symbolize something. They symbolize an accomplishment. Faithfulness. Jesus said, if you're faithful unto death, you will receive this crown. But in heaven, we have perspective that we don't have here. In heaven, any trophy and any reward that we've been given is not something that we're going to put in our bank account or something we're going to display in a window. It's good for nothing more than throwing it at the feet of Jesus because when we get there, we realize that any good that's been accomplished, any righteousness that we have, any good works that have been done wasn't because we brought something to the table, but because Jesus Christ died on a cross. He died for us. He saved us. He made possible our righteousness and our salvation. That's what it's going to symbolize. 
And this is why, man, there's a perpetual party because they're just reminded, they're throwing their crowns at the feet of Jesus. There is perspective in heaven that we don't have here. And I know that there are times that, that we have the sentiment, the sentimental thought that those who've gone before us are loved ones. You know, uh, you know my mother-in-law's in heaven, and, and so maybe there are those thoughts that, you know, she's looking down on me. Now listen, there is awareness in heaven of what's going on here at earth. There is. We're going to see that later. But, but it's not that we have to somehow pray to them or intercede since they can intercede to God with us. They have perspective. If they do, if they are looking down, they're like, oh man, just hold on. I know it's bad. It's going to be better than you've ever imagined. There's a perpetual party going on in heaven. And whatever you think about heaven is this, it's not quiet. It's not quiet. There's going to be a moment of silence in heaven, but it's going to be ordained. The rest of the time, you're going to hear this over and over, but there's this perspective. This is why we worship. It's not just that we've showed up to cheer on our team to victory. We're showing up, and we have been assured we've already got the win. Perspective matters. Like, for instance, my youngest son, Cole, when he was a kid, he, he collected bouncy balls. Like, dude, like every time, you know those little machines outside of like dry cleaners and Walmart and whatever? Hey, dad, you got a quarter? You know, like he'd get a, he'd get a bouncy ball. So like he, everywhere he'd go, he'd have this ball. He'd bounce in it and like he, you know, as hard as he could. Well, years ago, he was a little kid. He was somewhere and it like, he, he was bouncing the ball and it, it, it bounced on a grate and actually went down. And my, my son cried. And I didn't. <laughs> and the, the reason I didn't cry is because I had perspective. I'm like, it's 25 cents for crying out loud. I'll just go out and get another one. Like, I, I, why do I cry about that? Like, this is not the end of the world. The same thing is, is happening in heaven. We have this perspective, and this is why there's a perpetual party going on. And I think one of the reasons why we're going to engage in this unbridled worship is because we're finally going to understand and realize the rest of the story. You see, John sees an occupied throne at the center. He sees this perpetual party, but he also sees that God has a strategic, sovereign plan. In chapter 5, verse 1, as he's continu we continue this vision, he says, Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And he sees a, a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And, and so John begins to weep. He wept loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And you're like, well, what's the deal with the scroll? Well, what the scroll represents, I'm convinced, is what God has ordained concerning his plans for judgment and salvation. Plans that we read in, in, in Ephesians were ordained before the foundation foundation of the world, plans that, are, that were set in motion by Christ's death and resurrection. And what God has ordained is going to happen. And the reason why this is so comforting to me here, when I don't have everything figured out, is that the future of this world, regardless of what the talking heads on Fox News, CNN, or, or any other place that you go for, for uh, your depressing news uh, what would say, the future of this world is not determined by fate or by chance. History is the unfolding of God's predetermined plan for all things. Now listen, 
I'm getting ready to leave on sabbatical here in a little bit. And uh, I told somebody after the service, I, like, I'm not stressed. I'm not going on sabbatical because I'm having a nervous breakdown. I, I'm not. I just need rest. And part of the reason I need rest is because I'm one of those weirdos. And when I wake up in the middle of the night, my mind goes into high gear. Anybody else right there with me? Like, when you wake up, it's not even bad things. Sometimes it's just good things. Like, ooh, oh, man, what if we did this? Oh, man, I need to remember to do this. But then there are times where the confidence that I have in the day when you wake up disoriented and you just wake up right away, you're, you're, you're tempted to forget what you know to be true, that God is in control. There are times I'll wake up, oh, man, what are we going to do with this land? Oh, what are we going to do with the grace center? Oh, oh, God, what are we going to do about this person? Oh, oh, man, this person's going to leave the church because I, I forgot to visit them in the hospital. Oh, oh, what about this? Like, all of those things. That because, and here, here's the reason why those thoughts come to our mind is because we're not in control. I want to remind you of this fact. God has never had to wake up because God never sleeps. God is always working all things according to our eternal good, but it's for his sovereign purposes and for his ultimate glory. I was reading a great book called Blessed by a lady named Nancy Guthrie, and, and it's just a phenomenal book on Revelation. And she wrote something uh, uh, talking about this when she said, because of God's in control, she said, you don't have to live with a sense of regret about your past failures and mistakes, wondering what great plan of God you may have missed out on. You don't have to fear that the evils of some fatal disease or natural disaster or worldwide terrorism are going to derail God's plans for this world or for your life. You can rest in knowing that a sovereign God is seated on the throne, holding in his right hand the sealed scroll, and that nothing happens in this world or in your life that is outside of his control. If you are in Christ, you can be confident that his plans for you are good even when they don't seem that way. He is in absolute control and has loving plans for your future firmly in his grasp. And I read that, I'm like, oh... That's what I'm talking about. And so John sees this scroll and he weeps though because no one's found worthy. He looks around, cherubim aren't worthy. The elders aren't worthy. He knows for a fact he's not worthy. But as he's weeping, I can could, I could almost imagine one of the elders stepping off the throne like, hold on a second, I'm gonna hold my crown just for a second. And here's what he says in verse five. John, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then John sees him. He knows this lion. This is his Jesus. Yeah, yeah, he, he saw him, yes, as a, as a wounded lamb, as a lamb slain for the sins of the world, but now he sees him as a lion, large and in charge. Jesus alone is worthy to take the scroll and open it, and when he does, worship breaks out. Look at verse nine, man. He, he opens the scroll and it says, man, people just start singing again. Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth and all of heaven, man, it just starts. It's, it's louder than what I could have experienced at Assembly Hall. It's echoing. People are singing, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. It's the theme of heaven. Now, I'm going to tell you, Tuesday night, we're having our prayer and praise service at 630. You need to be there. Listen, and don't show up out of guilt. You need to show up to worship. What we do is we come together and we pray and we just literally declare you are worthy. 
And the reason we declare this is because of the fourth thing that John saw in heaven, the last thing that I want you to see before we close. He saw that Jesus has conquered. Jesus has conquered. And because of that, you have this confidence. We have won. Jesus has conquered. A few years ago, they had a theological conference in town, and I was not there, but several of my friends were, and one of my friends was fired up when I talked to him about it. He said one of the theologians that got up to speak said that it said that God is the Alpha and the Omega. He said, we know he's the Alpha, but we're not sure that he's the Omega because he's evolving like we are, and we don't know how it's all going to turn out. And I'm like, are you stinking kidding me? If we believe that he's the alpha, that we've got to hold on to his omega, his word says this, and we've got to believe and we know that he has conquered. Guys, I, I'm going to tell you why. You can, get, you can just skip ahead. If you'll just go to, to the end, we win. <laughs> I love it. Like, we win. Jesus has conquered. He's Lord. And that's why all of heaven is declaring, you are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy. Man, how many of you have seen that movie, Lion King? Anybody seen that movie, Lion King? Okay, do you remember the part where the hyenas have, they've cornered Simba, and they're not sure who it is that they've, they've captured. In fact, they've been talking smack about the mighty Mufasa and all that sort of thing. And yet, when, when all of a sudden somebody tells them, oh no, this is Simba, all of a sudden, everything changes. Oh, one of them, the first hyena says, Mufasa, now that's power. The second hyena is like, tell me about it. I just hear that name and I shudder. He's like, say it again. He's like, Mufasa. Second hyena is like, oh, do it again. Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. Oh, it's tingling me. Like, like literally they're, they're shivering at the very name of, of Mufasa. Philippians 2 reveals that there's coming a day when at the name of Jesus every knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth. There's coming a day when every single person, regardless of the eternal destination, are going to acknowledge the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. I don't want to wait until the time in which our knees are forced down. Today, I want us to worship and today declare that at the name of Jesus, all things have been conquered. That Jesus Christ is Lord now and forevermore.